Well, it is great to be back. Back here amongst all of you. Back here with the Lord Jesus present. Back here to worship together. It's been food for my soul. And it's great to see you as you sit there like a rough expectant sparrows along a telegraph wire saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. It's great to see it. And it is because of that terrible, terrible cross that we actually are able, as ugly as all that is, to capture the beauty of God's love for us. Because it was in the agony and bloody sweat of the cross that he showed his love for you. As if you were the only person, one at a time, that he died for. It looks terrible, but almost with the same breath, it's a beautiful thing for us. Because what he did was take all the filth and rottenness of our lives on himself so that we could be forgiven, made new and clean, filled with his spirit, and launched out for another day to live a different way. That is amazing. Well, as we consider that and how God blessed that work back in the days of the original disciples, we need to talk to the Lord and speak to him face to face. So bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Shut out any distraction. in your mind's eye see yourself looking at the Lord Jesus see him coming to you looking at you and loving you Lord Jesus we thank you for this time together to worship to praise your name to hear from your word and in the actions of the past to have you stimulate us and encourage us with how we live our lives today. So please, Lord Jesus, take my lips once again and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, going, the going of the gospel, as you look at your series title, and then today's address, the church solves another problem. It's a problem that was solved as the church came together, but a problem that was caused by their being obedient to the Lord Jesus and seeking whatever way they might, especially in the obedience to his direction, to share the gospel with the most unlikely people as far as those original disciples were concerned. It was out of their obedience 
and the way God blessed that obedience with growth, and that that growth meant change. That in Acts chapter 15, turn to page 6 in your service sheet, and we'll be able to follow along on this together. Acts chapter 15 is like a watershed in the whole experience of the early church as described in the Acts of the Apostles. For instance, up until Acts 15, it's mostly about the Apostle Peter's ministry. Beyond Acts 15 to the end, it's about Paul's ministry, the Apostle Paul. But more importantly, up until chapter 15, most of it is about the conversion of the Jewish people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, came to faith in him, and received him as Savior and Lord. And the second half is about the Gentiles coming to faith through the ministry of the first believers who were Jews. And this is a watershed experience that we ourselves, worshiping here today, are at the sort of, as time flows, toward the end of that wash. Because we are, most of us here without exception, virtually Gentiles, not Jews. But all the first believers were Jews. Jesus, the Messiah and Savior, was a Jew. His immediate disciples were Jews. On the day of Pentecost, though those people gathered from all over the world on the day of Pentecost, they were Jews. And when the Spirit of God fell upon the church, and then through them communicated the gospel, those who were converted were Jews from all around the world. And the heart and center of the church was in Jerusalem. And by the thousands, more and more people were converted, so that you read that those who were resisting said, how can we stop this? This message has gone everywhere. Look at all these people who were believing. It was an extraordinary thing. And then when persecution came to the church, and those Jewish believers were dispersed, and they ran for their lives, wherever they went, they went to Jewish synagogues and temples and shared the gospel, and more Jews became believers in other lands, other territories. It's hard for us to grasp today that the issue of the early church was this, which we're going to see in the text. Do Gentiles who become believers have to be Jews, become Jews, to be true Christians. What a switch. Today, the issue is this. Do the Gentiles have to evangelize the Jews? And is that a welcome sight? And of course, the answer to that is, yes, we do. We have received the message down through the ages, beginning with a Jewish population that got to know Jesus as Messiah, Lord, and Savior. The word Christ literally means Messiah, Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ. Just a different language root coming out of the Greek. 
We call him Jesus, Messiah, Savior, and Lord. And the Jews had that message and went out and preached it. Follow along with me as this story unfolds. We're in Acts chapter 15, and you see right at the beginning, Paul and Barnabas have come back from their first missionary journey, and some men came down from Judea to Antioch. Now Antioch, you take the Mediterranean shoreline, You've got Jerusalem toward about three quarters of the way down and inland a few miles. On the coast is a place called Joppa. Just above Joppa is Caesarea. And then further north on that coastline is Antioch. And the gospel had gone all the way to Antioch during that dispersion of the Jews in, the, in that uh, Terrible persecution. So there was a worshipping congregation of some significance that had sent Paul and Barnabas out as missionaries and they came back and told about how the Gentiles were getting converted. And so some men came down from Judea to Antioch, down because it's downhill, not further south, it's north, but downhill off the mountains of Judea. They came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, that is the believers, that unless, to quote, you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, you cannot be a real believer in Jesus. Your sins are not forgiven. If you can't be saved, you're not forgiven. Heaven's not your home and you're not truly part of the body of Jesus. And they're teaching that circumcision is the doorway to that and following the traditions of the Jews through Moses. How about that? That's what gives rise to the statement, do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to become Christians? And that was the controversy. Is that the way it has to be? And you see that Paul and Barnabas entered into dispute. Look at verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So the center of activity and authority was still seen to be Jerusalem. So they were going to Jerusalem to meet with the apostolic band and the elders of the church, the leaders in Jerusalem, to find out how to deal with this issue. So off they took. But look at this. The church sent them on their way, verse 3 of this passage, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, those are interposing areas, They told how the Gentiles had been converted. And the news made all the brothers, all Jewish, very glad. By the way, I'll just say this. We need to be talking about good news wherever we go. Talking up the good news of what's going on in our lives. And that we see we are deluged with bad news. 
newspapers, radio, television, drama, bad news. We've got good news to share. God is doing fantastic things. And these guys weren't bloating themselves. They weren't showing themselves off by talking about what was going on with the Gentiles. Like, look what we did. We went preaching to the Gentiles and they became believers. They were bringing joy to the believers that they were speaking to as they talk about what God was doing. And God's doing fantastic things. Yesterday was a wonderful gathering at Orchard Hill Church, next exit up 79 from us. Is that true? I think it is. It's one or two exits up the road anyway. Man up Pittsburgh. Pastor Ed led a phenomenal work over this last year so that we had a church full of men. Men only. That put hair on our chest. Just to be there with the men. Like a masculine Christianity. And it wasn't that we were acting macho and whooping it up as if we were marines or anything. But just to be there singing with men. A men's band on the platform. Leading us. Pastor Ed did a phenomenal thing. I sent him a note a couple of months ago and complimented him, he pulled off something in Man Up Pittsburgh that nobody in Pittsburgh has been able to do in the 40 years that I have been in Pittsburgh. Do you know what that is? Gather the leaders of the significant churches of Pittsburgh all together as spokespersons for Christ on the platform. That's it. It's absolutely amazing. Nobody has been able to get us together. It's like our egos are too big for one another. They were there. It was spectacular. And the guys, talk it up, will you? Because next year, we're going to be in the consul. And that place is going to be stacked out with the men of Pittsburgh. Be almost like a rebirth of the uh, Promise Keepers conferences that we used to have here. But with a view to these men being challenged to become mentors to other men. It's an amazing thing. So after all us regular pastors had spoken across the space of the day. Coach Tomlin gave an amazing, stirring address speaking about his life coming out of the projects. He really is the figurehead of this. Man up Pittsburgh. Pro-dads. Dads who are professional at being dads. And using men like us to mentor other men, young men, in the city of Pittsburgh. Thank you, Pastor Ed. Where are you? Right down here. God bless you. Thank you. You see any Orchard Hill people, you thank them. They did a phenomenal job of organizing that day for us. Uh, The whole church and the property was open to us, and it was a great, great event. God is doing good things. 
But when he does that sort of thing, it creates problems. Growth in obedience to the Lord's commission to go take the gospel to the whole world creates issues. And the issue that was created here, a very unique issue in some respects, and not so unique in others, is this. That the Jewish people always saw themselves as so radically different from the Gentiles that it was forbidden for them even to go in with the Gentiles and eat with the Gentiles and eat the food of the Gentiles. They didn't mingle with Gentiles. They kept themselves aloof from the Gentiles. And now with Jesus arisen, alive, and in their lives, remarkable things begin to happen. Look at how this text unfolds. Follow along with me. Because it tells a story. When, verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. More good news. As they traveled, they spit it out. When they get to Jerusalem, they're not talking about the problem. They get there. They're talking about the good news that creates the issue, the problem. So they tell that good news. Well, what do you know? Verse 5. Some of the believers, these are real believers, who belong to the party of the Pharisees, that is that strict religious sect within Judaism, stood up and said, just like the other chaps earlier, might have been the same gang, Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. They got their shot in right away. It's often the case. Somebody comes along and brings some good news. And then they get blindsided by Mr. Joe Misery over here who sees all the problems that they've either created, whether it's finance, relationships, territorial privilege, all kinds of stuff goes on between churches, between Christians, between groups in a church. And between different kinds of Christians and people from different socioeconomic backgrounds and racial backgrounds. So in that regard, there are great similarities and that becomes the challenge for us. Well, they got their word in. But look what happens. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Well, this was the issue that brought Paul and Barnabas down from Antioch. This was the big deal. A lot of good news, but there's an issue. Do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be real Christians? So when the apostles and elders met, look at this, verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up. Much discussion. We don't know how much that was. But uh, I can imagine it was lengthy and heated and difficult. Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you, like us, that Gentiles might hear from my lips, from Peter's lips, the message of the gospel, and believe. 
God who knows the hearts showed that he accepted them, these Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Now this is referring back to chapter 10. We're in chapter 15 of Acts. Back in chapter 10, a remarkable thing happened. Peter was in Joppa, that's up the coast a little bit, from Jerusalem, that's inland here, Joppa. Caesarea is next, not far, not much of a walk. And above that, way up, is Antioch, just as I've described it to you. On that coastal line, that northeast, west coast of Israel. Yeah, west coast of Israel. So Joppa is where Peter is at that time. And he takes a nap on a roof, flat top roof. And he dreams a dream, a vision. God lets down a sheep from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals in it that Jews are not supposed to eat, about, eat of. And God says to Peter, take and eat. He said, no, Lord, you know that I've never eaten anything unclean. He gets the vision again, and he gets the vision again three times. God says, take and eat. Now, while that's going on, there are some chaps who maybe about a day away had been walking to get down to Joppa from Caesarea. In Caesarea, a Roman center fought. Phenomenal sight even today when you see the ruins of it. Cornelius, a centurion, had a vision from an angel to send some of his men, Roman, that is, centurion, Gentile, centurion, send some of his men down to Joppa to bring back this man called Simon Peter, very deliberate piece of communication, to give you a message. So just as Peter's finishing this third piece of the vision and he gets up because he is hungry, these guys arrive. And they come and approach Peter and say, Cornelius, he's a godly man, he's, he loves our people, us Jewish people, he sent for you. He had a vision. God wants you to go and speak up there to him and his family. So Peter, after refreshment, went off with them. And he goes back up to Caesarea, and in a Gentile city, Caesarea, after, named after Caesar, Roman fort, Roman centurion, he goes into the centurion's home, he, the centurion, gathers his family and other leaders, and says to Peter, tell them what God sent you to say. And Peter starts to speak and tell them about Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes on them and it's clear that this is like a Pentecost for the Gentiles. The same thing has happened in Jerusalem. And Peter was astounded. And that's what he's recounting here when he speaks to the people. He said, you know that God sent me to speak to the Gentiles. He was actually criticized for going in and eating with the Gentiles into a Gentile house and speaking to them. Because he's Jewish. 
But when he did that, and he saw the impact of that, he comes back, and he reports that the same thing happened for them as happened on the day when the gospel was preached at Pentecost. So listen to this. Look at verse 8. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. That's between us Jews and those Gentiles. For he purified their hearts by what? Faith. Not circumcision. Not religious ceremonial. Not their Jewish tradition. Through faith. So he gets right to the heart of the issue. Now, when, look at verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of these disciples, these Gentile disciples, a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? They'd never been able to live up to the law. They screwed up all the time. Then they had to become hypocrites to pretend to be like they're keeping the law. And hypocrisy stinks to high heaven no matter where it is. And that's why the word Pharisee is synonymous with hypocrite. Pretending to be something that in their heart they were not. Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers. He said, you look great on the outside. Inside you're full of dead men's bones. He called them like a cup which was clean on the outside but full of filth on the inside. That's what Jesus said about Pharisees because he knew their hearts. As it says here, he knows our hearts. He knows what's going on. And no matter how good we look, and don't we look good? Look at me, man. Dressed in white, butter wouldn't melt in my mouth, talking about Jesus. God knows my heart. And it's the same as yours. He knows what's going on. And he knew here. And Jews and Gentiles alike need Jesus to put their faith in Jesus. Interestingly, it's the Jews who are saying this about the Gentiles. Hey, you Gentiles, I'm telling you, you need to grasp this concerning the Jews. They need Jesus. One wonderful thing is this. Just heard this week. I was speaking at Trinity School for Ministry, ran into a chap who's working amongst the Jewish people in Israel. There are 150 small Christian assemblies, Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, meeting in Jerusalem alone. How about that for some good news? 150 centers of worship and teaching and praise in Jerusalem of Jesus as Messiah, Savior, and Lord. The real hope for the Middle East is Jesus. Clearly, there is no way they can resolve that problem. The Arabs hate the Jews, and the Jews 
have to constantly find themselves fighting against the Arabs. And since the Jews have separated themselves from all Gentiles, I would think they think the Arabs are the worst Gentiles of the blooming lot. Jesus is the answer. And a spiritual awakening amongst the Arabs, because I know of people who are evangelizing the Arabs as well. The Muslims. Amazing things are going on. Pray about it. Don't just read the news and lament what a stinking mess it is. The hope is Jesus. Because there's no help elsewhere to bring peace. 150 Christian assemblies in Jerusalem. It's fantastic. Well, look what happens. How am I doing here? Not bad. I've got a little clock here. We took it off the back wall, apparently, because you guys kept looking around to see how much more you had to put up with. <laughs> it's right here. Yeah, you were. You were like, we could see you looking around. Now then, it goes on to say this. Verse 11, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord. This is Peter still speaking. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Same deal. Through his grace, his amazing grace. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And then the last verse that you have before you. The whole assembly became silent so you got the impression that they weren't altogether silent going, doing all this, but they became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So you got the witness of Peter and then the witness of Barnabas and Saul. And this is where I want to close out our time this morning. Do you notice at the head of this passage, if you go to the top, verse 2, it says, Saul or Paul... Saul of Tarsus, Paul, and Barnabas. Do you see that? Down here, it's Barnabas and Paul. Psychological differences to who's named first. When you get down to Jerusalem, let me ask you this. Do you know where the first martyr was who was slaughtered by the Jewish people? other than Jesus. Who was the first martyr? Stephen. Where did he get stoned to death? Jerusalem. Who was standing there, consenting to his death and holding the coats of those who were firing the stones? Paul. So when Paul comes down to Jerusalem, you can see the Christians who would still have a problem. Who does he think he is? coming to tell us about how we should regard the Gentiles. This is the guy who killed our first hero, Stephen. Do you get over stuff in your life? Who's hurt you? Who's ticked you off? What Christian minister or leader has failed you? Who in your experience, when I say what I've just said, comes to mind and your gut tightens and you still despise the thought of the person who hurt you, who loves Jesus. 
How do you think these Christians reacted? So the reason you've got it, Barnabas and Paul, is because Barnabas was really the upfront guy. Do you know who it was who welcomed Saul of Tarsus after he was born again spiritually, had that experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus? Do you know who it was who welcomed him in and took him around and introduced him to the other Christians in Jerusalem? Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. He was one of their heroes. So he's really the first spokesman of the two here in Jerusalem. It's Barnabas and Paul. How amazing that Paul, who was so avidly committed to the rejection of the Savior, the resurrection of Jesus, that he was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament, that he really was the Messiah, so much so that he was persecuting Christians viciously, violently, he becomes, instead of the great opponent to the church, the great proponent of the gospel. Just in this very text alone, whoops, you've got amazing testimony to the power of God to change people's hearts. And the hearts of the Jews had to change toward the Gentiles in the sharing of the gospel. And whoever your problem is, your hearts has to change too. What was wonderful yesterday was the gathering of blacks and whites, African Americans and the whole motley crowd of Gentile, what do we call ourselves? Mongrels. From all over the globe. Worshipping together. African American and white preachers on the, the platform. Mike Tomlin closing it. Jesus is the power to heal, change hearts, and through that, change destinies. And you are his man or woman for the occasion. Let me ask you to do this. I'm working down with my wife in Florida in the winter season, suffering for the Lord <laughs> in Key Largo. It's my job to hang out with the people on golf courses, fishing in the Gulf Stream, dining, getting to know them. We've become very, very good friends with a Jewish man that we call Sir Arthur. He's got an aristocratic style about him, and I named him Sir Arthur. He advertised himself as an atheist and sent me a piece of his poetry proclaiming his atheism. In the same meter... I sent him back a piece of poetry that I wrote saying he needs to take a leap of faith. 
We've had a running conversation on and off, a lot of fun. Mostly he's putting me down. But he said he moved from being an atheist to an agnostic. To which I said, an agnostic is only an atheist who hasn't got the guts to say he's an atheist. (laughs) We have a frank, fun conversation. Last conversation we had before we broke up, and he goes, goes off to New Jersey and New York, and I come up here to Pittsburgh. This is like a little over a week ago. He said, I was an atheist. (laughs) I said I was an agnostic. He said, I'm this close to becoming a believer. Now, there are other Christians involved in his life. But pray for Sir Arthur, will you? Pray for him. Because when he takes that leap of faith into the arms of Jesus... All heaven's going to be let loose in Ocean Reef. So you pray for him. Please. Because we're on the shoes on the other foot now. We Gentiles are trying to reach into the hearts of Jews with the same gospel that Jesus brought to them. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here. You know the love you have for your people, the Jewish people. Please, Lord, in your mercy, reach Sir Arthur and others like him. Bless those churches in Jerusalem and up and down and out throughout Israel. And for ourselves, Lord, with our petty bigotries, with our little axes that we grind continually, forgive us, transform us, make us prayers for those who at this moment we disdain. Help us to love them, reach out to them, that we may be a part of your good news, a wave of good news flowing out throughout this world. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.